Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. You have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to take it, please, and turn to the book of Jonah, the third chapter of the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. I'm mindful that the other times that we gathered here, unexpected things happen. From what I'm told, we had a couple of deer walk out of the woods while I was preaching. I didn't know there were deer walking out of the woods. I just knew that people weren't listening to what I was saying. We even had a bald eagle fly overhead. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that happened today? And again, I didn't know what was happening. I just noticed that uh, I didn't have any eye contact with anybody who was here, so we just don't know what's going to happen. I was telling the fellows at the men's breakfast last week about the fellow out in California who got arrested for having a barbecue. He was barbecuing a bald eagle. He got arrested for it and brought before the judge, and he said to the judge, Your Honor, I, I really didn't know, I didn't know what it was, and I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was illegal. And the judge said, You know, I'm having a good day. I, I'm going to let you go. And the judge said, But, you know, before I let you go, I do have a question. What did that bald eagle taste like? And the man said, it kind of tasted like spotted owl. We're in Jonah chapter 3 this morning. Jonah chapter 3, as we celebrate this birthday of our nation. Jonah chapter 3, I'd like to read beginning in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Let's ask God to bless as we look into his word this morning. Father, I pray that you give us wisdom this morning as we look into your word, that we might be challenged as Americans who come to celebrate the birthday of our nation. As Christians who have a message for this nation, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be true to it. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that can be enjoyed on this lawn. We thank you for those who have gone before us, who have provided the price of our freedom that we enjoy. And even as we were challenged in song this morning, we ask, Lord, that we would rely on you alone. And even if times of persecution come, that we'd be willing to stand, and having done all to stand, may we stand having our loins girt with a belt of truth. And Lord, I pray this morning that you'd use your word to encourage your people and send us out of here, better American citizens, better heavenly citizens, more equipped to serve you and for any who have come into this service today who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. May the gospel be clear that they might receive him, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. This week we'll be celebrating the 247th anniversary of the founding of our country, our country's 247th birthday. We as believers believe that this country was founded by the blessing of the grace of God. After all, the book of James says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so we have been given the wonderful gift of this glorious country, and we celebrate that as we celebrate the goodness of our God. We sang this morning of beautiful and spacious skies, of amber waves of grain, of purple mountains and their majesty, 
as they stand above the fruited plains. And truly, we can sing, America, America, God shed His grace on thee. America is a nation of unequaled natural resources, whether it be coal or natural gas, whether it be lakes, rivers, streams, oceans, field lands, forest. America has been blessed with unequaled natural resources. America is a nation of unparalleled natural beauty. From the giant redwoods of California to the rocky coast of Maine, from the beauty of the Rockies to the Everglades of Florida, across this land there are beauties to behold that God wove together to bless those whose eyes would behold them. There's no people like the American people. The American people are an industrious people. The American people have been noteworthy for their innovation. Most importantly, they've been noteworthy for their willing sacrifice and for their empathy and their desire to bring freedom and liberty to others. Lyman Abbott was a preacher of the 19th century. Lyman Abbott said, a nation is made great not by its beautiful acres, but by the men who cultivate them, not by its great forest, but by the men who use them, not by its mines, but by the men who build them and run them. It's altogether right that we pause this week and celebrate the birth of our nation, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Every one of us ought to give thanks for the blessings of this good land. To be called an American is a privilege. It's a privilege that's been bought by the blood of brave men who have come before us. It's a privilege that's been provided by the providence of God and the providence of God alone. As we mark our 247th birthday as a country, there are those who are here today who are spiritually sensitive. There are those who are here today as spiritually sensitive believers whose celebrations are going to be clouded. And those celebrations will be clouded because their discerning minds recognize that the American dream seems to have been interrupted by what appears to be a growing godless nightmare. When our Constitution was woven together, at the Constitutional Convention, 55 noteworthy individuals gathered. Of those 55 men who gathered to write the Constitution of the United States of America, 52 of the 55 were avowedly evangelical Christians. In fact, 20 of the 55 who gathered there at the Continental Congress in Philadelphia, 20 of them were seminary graduates. All 55 of them believed that we were created by a divine creator with certain unalienable rights. All 55 of those who gathered to weave together our Constitution were serious students of the Holy Scriptures. In fact, no serious student of the history of our country can deny the influence of Christianity on the writing of our Constitution and the founding of this country. James Madison is called the father of the Constitution. James Madison said, we have staked the whole future of America not on the power of government, far from it, said Madison. Not the future of American Christ America, rather, is not in the Constitution. We stake the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of each and every one of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. So said James Madison, 
the father of the Constitution. In 1980, the United States Supreme Court effectively outlawed the display of the Ten Commandments in our public school classrooms. Forty-three years later, we asked the question, so how are we doing without any display or knowledge of the Ten Commandments in this country that was established by those who said we're staking everything on the ability of those who come after us to follow those Ten Commandments? Let's think about it. Commandment number one is certainly ignored. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. But there are many gods in America that have been put before the Lord God, our Creator. There are many Americans who worship money and possessions. Commandment number two says we're not to have any idols before Him. How are we doing on that? Let's just look at the sports scene where sports idols are veritably worshipped in great monuments that have been built for their prowess. We have those who appear as entertainers who are worshipped as idols. Commandment number three is broken so frequently that it's almost forgotten. Commandment number three says, we're not to take the name of our Lord in vain. But, oh my God, has become a virtual national exclamation. Without any shame, we tend to blaspheme the name of the Lord. Commandment number four has been forgotten. Commandment number four tells us that we're to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. As New Testament believers, we remember this day, the first day of the week, as the day of the resurrection of the Savior. But in America today, fewer than 30% of Americans make it a habit to be in a church on a Sunday, and over 60% of Americans never go to church at all. Commandment number five has been obliterated. Commandment number five says children are to obey their parents. And sadly, today, we have those in the political arena and even in the educational arena who are whispering things into the ears of our children and discouraging their hearts to the point where many parents are beginning to rise up and say, wait a minute, there are children, not yours. Commandment number six is trampled under feet, thou shalt not kill. Over 20,000 murdered in America this past year. In fact, in 2020, the murder rate of America went up 30%. And then, of course, we ought to pause every time our nation celebrates a birthday and remember that 600,000 were stolen from the womb last year. How are we doing? Commandment number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. One in four American men confess that they've been unfaithful to their marital vows. Commandment number eight, thou shalt not steal. Shoplifting has become so pandemic that there are a lot of store owners who say we can't keep our stores open and allow shoplifting to continue at this rate. Commandment number nine, thou shalt not lie. I'm reminded that 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that in the end times, there'll be truce breakers, and as we watch our national affairs, we wonder how many treaties, how many promises have we forgotten. Commandment number 10 needs no explanation. Thou shalt not covet, not even Truby Tepner's chair this morning. Is there a message from God for our nation today? The answer, of course, is yes. So we've opened our Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 3. In Jonah, chapter 3, we read in verse 2 that God said to Jonah, Jonah, arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto them the preaching that I bid thee. In Jonah, chapter 1 and verse 2, in Jonah, chapter 3 and verse 2, in Jonah, chapter 3 and verse 3, 
In Jonah chapter 4 and verse 11, in all four of these places, you'll see God call Nineveh a great city. Why? Because Nineveh was a great city. In times past, Nineveh represented the Assyrian nation. The Assyrians were the world's singular superpower. Their great city was so great that it would take three days to walk around the borders of the city of Nineveh. It was so great that the walls that were built near Nineveh stood 100 feet tall and so wide at the top that three chariots could ride abreast along the top of the walls. Around those city walls, 1,500 parapets stood, another 150 feet tall, 250 feet in the air looking down on anyone who had come to attack the city of Nineveh. Three great rivers and their streams and estuaries flowed into that city, causing the fields that approached that city to be always green and always lush. This was a place that was impressive, impressive with temples and palaces, impressive with libraries and people. Nineveh was a world superpower. In the ancient world, it was a great city. But folks, it was a godless city. The Ninevites worshipped Dagon. Dagon was an anthropomorphic god, half man, half fish. And the people who lived in the city of Nineveh, and especially their armies, were ever so violent. In fact, students of the Assyrian culture call the leaders of Assyria the lords of torture. How so? Well, the Assyrians were masters of physical and psychological warfare. When they conquered a place, they would make those that they conquered dig up the bones of their relatives and grind those bones to powder in order to symbolize that they have no heritage and they have no strength. They caused the people that they conquered to burn their small children, tearing them away from their future and their hopes. They amputated limbs. They cut out tongues. They gouged out eyes of the leaders of those that they conquered. They impaled their enemies in such a strategic way that it would take hours for their enemies to die excruciating deaths. They flayed the flesh of the leaders of those that they conquered, and then they displayed the wickedness of their violence, heads and bodies and even skins displayed on the walls of the countries that they took over. The Assyrian people were lords of terror. They were awful in their day but they were the superpower. And as we open our Bibles to the book of Jonah, we find that God has a message for the godless nation of Assyria, for the godless city of Nineveh, for a great city that has forgotten God. God's message begins this way. God sees when a nation is wicked. God sees when a nation is wicked. The book of Jonah begins this way in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2. Arise, Go up to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, when we celebrate the 247th anniversary of our country, there will be those who will say, hey, now wait a minute. This isn't a Christian country. After all, some of our forefathers were deists. And specifically, they'll often point to Thomas Jefferson and make note of the fact that Jefferson seemed to be some form of deist. What's a deist, you ask? Well, a deist is someone who does not believe in the virgin birth, who does not believe in the resurrection, 
A deist tends to believe that God created everything that we see and then stepped away. Maybe he forgot about it. Maybe he became disinterested in it. Maybe that was his plan from the beginning that he created and really wanted to let it go, but that God is not interested in what's happening on the earth today. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2 says that's a lie. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2 says, God said, Jonah, arise, go up to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. The point is, God sees everything. God sees everything simultaneously, and God sees everything perfectly. And God sees when a nation is wicked. The Bible says in Proverbs 15 and verse 3, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, verse 24 says, Can any hide himself in secret places that I will not see him? Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says, All things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And friend, listen, God sees the degeneracy of our nation today. God sees parades of nakedness in our streets. God sees wantonness and lewdness on our White House lawn. God sees more than that. God sees when secret screens are opened up to pictures that ought not to be seen as people commit crimes that some say are victimless and forget that the victimization of the heart polluted is a tremendous atrocity in the eyes of God. God sees violence in our community. God sees abuses in our family. God hears for he knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts, according to Hebrews 4 and verse 12. He knows of those who lead our land. He knows of their plans and their policies. He knows when our land is being torn away from those plans and policies and principles upon which it was established. God knows when people in our land forget the prayers of their forefathers and foremothers, their grandmothers and grandfathers that prayed that God would allow this to be a land where freedom would reign and Christianity would be known and Christ would be worshipped. The book of Jonah would not be in the Bible if God were not involved in the affairs of every nation. In fact, the same God who saw the great city of Nineveh 2,700 years ago sees us today. And the same God who saw the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah over 3,000 years ago sees the wickedness of America today. Psalm 4 and verse 2 says, O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after lies? God saw the wickedness of Belshazzar, who was watching over Babylon. God interrupted Belshazzar's great party, writing on the wall of his palace, Meeny, meeny, tikal eupharsin, weighed in the balance and found watching. Today, God sees the wickedness and the violence of our land. So if you come into this birthday of our nation with some measure of cloud and discouragement, be encouraged and be warned to know that God sees what's happening. And even as we were reminded earlier in Pastor Brandon's prayer, righteousness exalts a nation. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs 14 and verse 34, sin is a reproach to any people. So we're asking the question, is there a message as for America as we celebrate its 247th year? Yes, that message begins this way. God sees. 
God not only sees our nation, but God sees you and God sees me. And we need to hear the message that he's provided in the book of Jonah. And that message is this, that God sends messengers to a nation that is wicked. Point of fact is, the book of Jonah would not be in the Bible if God wasn't in the business of sending messengers into nations that are wicked. The Ninevites represented the superpower of their day. They were the people of Assyria. They were the strong ones of their generation. But the book of Jonah begins this way. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, and it's not coincidental. In fact, it's consequential the way this book opens. This book opens with two names. Jonah, his name means dove. And a dove is a symbol of peace in the Bible. He's the son of Amittai, and Amittai's name means truth. And so we're learning that you can never really have peace until you first have truth. And so God sends messengers, messengers of peace who come telling the truth, messengers of peace who are willing to speak out on behalf of God, even when a nation has forgotten God and forgotten God's Word. I believe today America is much like the people to whom Amos addressed himself in Amos chapter 8 and verse 1. Amos spoke of a famine in the land. He said in Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, rather, not a famine of bread nor thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. We have a famine in our land, and man cannot live by bread alone. He needs and requires for his soul to be nourished, the living Word of God. Our nation is filled with confusion because the truth of God's Word is no longer being heard. Jesus said in John 17 and verse 17, sanctify them by thy truth, thy Word is truth. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The only antidote to our times, the only antidote to our times of confusion is the living truth of the Word of God. Are you a student of God's Word? Do you claim its promises and share it with others? Noah Webster, a man called the father of American scholarship and education, said, the moral principles and precepts contained in scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. All of the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice and crime and ambition and justice and oppression, said Webster, from slavery and war, proceed from their despising and neglecting the precepts and principles contained in the Bible. I believe that God wants to send each one of us as messengers of truth who can bring peace to hearts and proclaim peace for our land. But sometimes reality is some of God's messengers feel a lot like Jonah. They're unwilling to go. You recall that Jonah said no when God said go. It's hard, you see, to tell others who believe that their sin is the source of their happiness that it's a lie, to tell people that the wages of sin is death. It's sometimes hard to tell those who find pleasure in unrighteousness that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's hard to tell Americans who have been weaned on a religiously pluralistic culture that while we respect and govern with religious pluralism always being the law of the land and the desire of our hearts. Yet we as believers understand that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that that message is exclusive. We have an exclusive message to bring to a lost and dying people, and sometimes that's difficult. 
It's hard to speak to those who push back, whether it be in the, the educational or the political arena, the elites of our time who own the media and say, now listen, the Bible tells us that there are only two genders. I don't need science to tell me that. The scriptures tell me that. The messages that God has given us to give to others are messages that are necessary. Listen, there'll be no peace until there's truth. And the messengers of truth, I believe, are seated before me today. Those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, who are willing to take up the cause of Christ as revealed in God's Word, are sent out like Jonah into a great city as messengers of truth. Our Lord has a wonderful way of sending messengers who sometimes look weak into great strongholds and allowing them to make a great difference. God can send one messenger by the name of Daniel into Babylon and make such a difference that Nebuchadnezzar would come to declare that the Lord God of creation is the Lord God of his heart. God could send one messenger like Obadiah to speak to the people of Edom and give them warning. God can send one messenger like Jonah into Nineveh, and as we see shortly, and see Nineveh come to their senses and turn from their sin. God can send one messenger like Paul to Rome and allow Caesar's very household to be flooded with the gospel. God can send you and God can send me, but are we willing to go to our families and our friends and give them the challenge of God's Word? Ezekiel 33 says in verse 8, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou speak not to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die. He'll die in his iniquity, but Ezekiel says, God says, his blood will I require at thy hand. Those who give careful attention to the book of Jonah discover that when a wicked nation continues on, God sees and God in his kindness sends messengers. Why? Because God has a message to be heard in the generation going astray, and God has a message for all of us. And that message is this. God may have mercy when a nation is wicked. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Jonah tried to go to Tarshish. And God said, Jonah, I'm sending you to Nineveh instead. God sent a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God has innumerable ways of changing our minds about certain things. So it is at the beginning of Jonah chapter 3, we read beginning in verse 5, that the people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah, the whitewashed prophet who had been three days in the gastric juices of a great fish, is now the preacher proclaiming righteousness to the people of Nineveh. And the Bible says, and they believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word of, came unto the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne. He laid his robe from him. He covered him with sackcloth. He sat in ashes. He caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Ye, let them, yea, rather, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his, first, his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. I know that there are some who think that it's too late, that America's glory days are behind them. 
I've heard people say things like this. If God doesn't punish America, God's going to have to apologize to Sodom. While that may sound interesting to say, I'd have to respond, yes, but. You remember that God sent Lot into Sodom. And 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Lot went into Sodom and then Sodom got into Lot. Because 2 Peter 2 and verse 8 says, Sodom vexed, or Lot vexed his righteous soul with seeing and hearing the things of the city of Sodom. There's no message of the preaching of Lot to the city of Sodom found in God's Word. Instead of Lot standing in opposition to the sin of his day, he became desensitized to it. He was in the world and he was of the world. Hey, friends, that can be any one of us. Reality is, over and over, we find this pattern in God's Word that when a, when a nation is in sin, God sends messengers. Some messengers like Jonah don't want to go. They hope when they go and proclaim what God has for them to proclaim. Even when sometimes their spirits and attitudes are wrong, even when surely they're not people who are totally without sin, God's Word is powerful and God's Word can make a difference. God can send some like Lot who would go into the city of Sodom and be mute in a place that was marred by sin and soon bring judgment to that place. And so as we gather here today on this lawn, we understand that the great city of Nineveh was destined for judgment until that great city of Nineveh and the Assyrians turned. And our prayer ought to be, oh God, turn us again. May God turn the people in America. May the Holy Spirit come in unfettered, unparalleled, and undeniable power and make a difference in our land. Yes, I believe that God can still revive America. I believe that God is in the revival business. I believe that the character of God is still seen in the proclamation and promise that was made to Israel in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, that if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that God will hear from heaven, that God can forgive our sins, and God can heal our land. Every believer gathered here today on this lawn is sent out as a grain of salt and as a spark of light into a witnessing world round about us. The question is, will you accept your responsibility for the predicament of our nation today? If my people, that's you and me, who are called by my name, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're called by His name, Christian, will humble themselves and pray. Certainly all of us can pray. And seek my face while turning from their wicked ways. The serious matter of it is, will you turn? Then God promises, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Any carefully observant citizen of this country would have to acknowledge that America is in trouble. But I believe that God has given to America a wonderful solution. Lamentations chapter 3 says, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It's because of his compassions that we fail not. Listen to the words of Daniel Webster. Daniel Webster, the godly spokesman of a bygone time, said, If truth be not diffused, error will be. If God and His Word are not known and received, the devil and his works will gain ascendancy. 
If the evangelical volume, that's the Bible, does not reach every hamlet, the pages of corrupt, licentious literature will. If the power of the gospel is not felt throughout the land, anarchy and misrule, degradation and corruption and darkness will reign. Of this we can be sure. God sees our situation. Of this we're sure. God sends us as grains of salt, sparks of light. This we know, our God is a merciful God. He's full of compassion. And yes, indeed, He can send revival. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.